Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga podcast. As always, I'm your host, Manuel Fede. And yeah, joined also as always, or pretty much as always, as always, is Stefan Bielkowski. Stefan, how's it going, buddy? Yeah, I'm doing very, very well. Uh, I am in the beautiful island of Sky this week. Um, and yeah, had a bit of trouble getting here. Minor car accident, which wasn't my fault. Um, but no one was injured. So got here in one piece. And I'm sure if any of our American listeners have ever been to Sky, they'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Some beautiful views, wonderful sunshine, wonderful coastline. And a great pace to really reflect on what happened in German football this weekend. Yeah, and you also had a really nice surprise this morning. <laughs> I did. I, I didn't realize I, I, had, I had the week or the day off as a bank holiday in Scotland, um, which I'm just actually not used to checking up on. It wasn't until my future mother-in-law reminded me at the breakfast table because um, we were literally scrambling around trying to figure out when we could fit this podcast into our work schedule this week and then or today. And I was like, oh, actually, it turns out I could do just about any time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not technically on till this afternoon when I do fly back to Canada. Um, it's been a whirlwind tour. Uh, I actually woke up pretty much in my own bed today, Stefan. That was nice. Um, mm. In my parents' house, my my old room, your, your childhood bed, my childhood bed. Yes, um, which was like, nice. Like, is your childhood <laughs> bedroom like Thomas Miller's? Uh, no, I eighteen sixty posters instead. <laughs> <laughs> No, actually, I think all that stuff was taken down and said, unfortunately, because it, it, it doubles up as a guest room. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't. I mean, we had the German Cup as well, right, this weekend. And um, I was following the, the Dortmund 1860 game and uh, not the result that I hoped for, but the result I expected, I guess. And I guess with like. It's one of the things that we can briefly touch on um, in this show. And I think we should just jump right into it because we have a lot to discuss. And so let's do that after this break. This episode of the Gang Pressing Podcast is brought to you at Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wage on all your favorite sports, contests, and events, with first to market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL combat sports, esports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information, from live in-game betting, props, and futures. Head to BetOnline today, or use your mobile device to join today and make your first spots bet. Use our promo code BELIEVE50, that is B-L-E-A-V-5-0, BELIEVE50, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on our first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Yeah, um, it's nice. I mean, the, the the fact that I was on the DFL Super Cup visit, as you know, right, Stefan, and um, really great opportunity to, to do experience the, the the game firsthand, but also to speak to some people at the DFL, the Bundesliga, and fellow journalists, um, including we had colleagues there from from Sky, from the UK, Sky UK, the usual German journalists as well, and. Uh, it was a great experience. One of the things that I did on Friday, um, we went to dinner uh, with the DFL and they actually provided me with an iPad so I could watch the 1860 Dortmund game at the Grünwalder <laughs> Stadion. Um, yeah. Very and nice. Then I, and then I got a pity beer out of it too. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's the good thing with sports in a small club. People always feel sorry for you. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's very true. Um we were not. I mean, we didn't really have this on the agenda, but I think there were some surprising results in the in the DFB Pokal. Eighteen sixty wasn't one of them, sadly. Although the atmosphere, if you haven't seen what happened in and around Munich and Giesing, where eighteen sixty play and the stadium uh, fully sold out, right, uh, was just incredible. And I've seen uh, pictures of floating all over the internet as well over Twitter. Uh, but there were some surprises. I think mm-hmm. uh, first and foremost, Leverkusen, right. Yep. 4-3 to Elversberg, um, Köln, out two. Trying to think. I think it was from other ones. The German Cup is wonderful because there's no return lag, right? So it's like a one mm-hmm. and done. And yeah, I think there was there's some surprises that 
we Hamburg. Hamburg, but they mm. turned it around. But That's, yeah, of course. Um, but I, our colleague Daniel Bush, who we work with, was a huge Hamburg fan. Uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, there was some making making fun of in the chat in our work chat. <laughs> Hertha hmm. against Braunschweig, out. Yeah, um, it's yeah, and I was kind of. I was kind of in the party paper, wasn't I? Because I was pointing out that the idea of hosting a knockout competition before the league seasons have begun in the top flight is just, it's just madness to me. A lot of fun, chaotic and hugely entertaining, but also madness because, you know, as we've seen a lot, these kind of top teams are just, aren't yet, they're just not really match fit yet. Mm. Um, I think we, I think we even saw that in the Super Cup as well, actually with Leipzig. Um, but so I think that always kind of leads to these kind of upsets. But it's great fun, and it's an end, it's a great day out for obviously these fans, of these smaller teams, especially mm. when they pick up a big result. Yeah, uh, Köln lost to Regensburg, and I, the the second and the third division are two match days in, right? So I think they do have a little bit of an advantage. The Leverkusen stands out mm. for sure, and. It could provide them with a bit of a wrinkle, right? Mm-hmm. Going into the season. Um, because we have, I think both of us have done quite highly. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how they're going to, to kind of come back from that. Another one is Kiel went out against Waldhof, second division against the third division. We have a few more games today, um, including Magdeburg hosting Frankfurt. And then, of course, the, the two Super Cup teams are playing their first round games um, on August 30th. Leipzig against Teutonia Ottensen and Bayern Munich are hosted by Victoria Köln um, August 31st. So, yeah, I mean, always good fun. I do, I do agree with you. Uh, it's not quite fair for the up for, for the first division teams, but the very fact that I support a lower division team, I think that's just okay. <laughs> <laughs> It's, uh, a fun, it's a fun way to start the season. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, also to start the season is, of course, the DFL uh, and their Super Cup. And there's an interesting talking point that was brought up ahead before we talk about the game and some of the things that come out of the game and some of the transfer stories that are also coming out of the game that I, I think are very interesting. There's one point that was brought up um, before the actual game, um, it was this was a, at a round table with Andreas Jung um, and um, the marketing boss of the DFL, um, Klein, right? The, the, mm. Actually, the president of uh, Bundesliga International, who we have had on this podcast last year. Mm. And um, it's terrible. I forgot the name of the, the, the lady that does the, the marketing, the head of marketing for Leipzig. And um, they were discussing sort of the format of this and also the importance of growing the Bundesliga abroad. And Bayern Munich, for the second time, have raised this point. Oliver Kahn raised this point during the US tour that German clubs are not doing enough in terms of traveling abroad. And he kind of raised the point that the only two German teams, and I've totally forgotten that they also went abroad, um, were Paderborn, who went to the US and played a few games there, and Bayern Munich, of course, right? Mm. And Oliver Kahn already said when the German teams are not doing enough to kind of raise the profile in key markets. He wanted uh, that Dortmund are going abroad. Leipzig looks like they are doing something next year, and they did some events in New York with their sister club, uh, New York Red Bulls, and it sounds like they might be also coming to the United States next year. Bayern Munich are also very much looking at the U- going back to the United States next year because uh, Asia... Is, is a difficult market with COVID. Um, the US is a little bit easier. But it's interesting that they keep raising this point that they have to do more. And one of the things that was brought up, and this is what Andreas Jung said, why is the Super Cup not being played in the US? Mm. Right. Yeah, which is an interesting point because, you know, it, it's such a fine line that these these federations have to kind of dance because on the one hand, you can see the appeal and the necessity to kind of promote the league abroad. And I think Oliver Kahn makes a really good point in that regard in terms of, you know, probably isn't enough being made uh, of, you know, using the kind of pre-season as a marketing opportunity to move abroad. But 
you then also have to consider the balance between that and kind of normal football fans because we've seen in Spain, if I'm not mistaken, their Super Cup has been moved abroad and it's been kind of met with a huge amount of derision from obviously fans in Sp- in Spain itself. So it's tricky. And, I, and I'm not entirely sure if the backlash from doing something like that would probably be worth, you know, the prospect of having maybe 30,000 or 40,000 fans from New York in the stadium. Um, it's it's a very slippery slope, I must admit, especially considering, um, you know, possibly the kind of precious kind of balance that is between German football fans at the moment and the kind of authorities. There's still, I think there's still quite a lot of suspicion over what's going on. As we kind of talked about in the show before, there's still a huge kind of concern over 50 plus one. Whether it's kind of justified or not is up for debate, but it's something that football fans still care very much about. And but then, like, like you said, you, you you then do have to do you you have to then do something, um, and I completely agree with him that German football probably isn't doing enough to sell itself abroad. Yeah, he the way he said would be an interesting idea is that the two teams that participate in the DFL Super Cup should then go, and he said the United States makes the most sense for them um, because it also is it would kind of be politically also the easiest. Um, I think Italy plays theirs in Saudi Arabia, right? Mm. And he said, like, that's not something that he would consider because the backlash would be enormous mm. if the, if the Germany would do that. But he said the United States or, or North America would make a lot of sense for them because you could go have send the two teams that are playing in the Super Cup, play a bunch of friendlies there, and just make that part of the whole package, right? Yeah. You can play, like, when Bayern were over there now, they could have played... DC United, then they could have played Man City, and then the third game would have been them playing Leipzig somewhere else. Mm. That's sort of how he's how he saw it, and I and he said it would also make more sense in terms of like the, the time zone. But and then he pointed this out, and I think this is a very good point. He said German fans travel anyways. He's he said look at Frankfurt, how many fans they took abroad, and. He, he would have then saying how what how is it different when Frankfurt fans sit ten hours in a bus or hmm. fly six hours to New York? Well, I can tell you as I'm here in the Scottish Highlands at the moment, I'm pretty sure you could have held the Super Cup in Inverness and it would have been sold out with German football fans because yeah. that's just how many German tourists travel to Scotland every year. So they're very very well travelled people, um, and I completely agree with you. The only thing I would really kind of say is that like. It, from a Bayern Munich point of view, it's very easy to kind of do things like this because their fans mm-hmm. go to so many finals, they're used to success, they have fans around the world, but mm-hmm. say Freiburg had ended up winning this, the Pokal last year and the game was in Freiburg, the Super Cup was in Freiburg, if that had been taken away from Freiburg and suddenly it had been stuck in Atlanta or something, yeah, you could understand why Freiburg fans would be upset about that because like, we finally get our moment in the sun, we get to celebrate you know, of course, the Pokal or the Super Cup should be a, tr- a, a game in itself, which teams want to win. But it's also kind of a, a victory lap for winning the Pokal last year. And, mm-hmm. you know, Leipzig got to do that in front of their fans. Um, it's a day out for their fans. And, okay, maybe a lot of people listening to this might think, right, well, I don't really care about Leipzig. Um, <laughs> they would probably argue they don't have any fans, you know, which is just a kind of, I find a bit of a ridiculous argument. But anyway, the point is that, you know, it's all well and good Bayern Munich saying we, we don't mind playing our Super Cup games abroad, but if it's a Freiburg, if it's a Gladbach, if it's a Kaiserslautern, whatever, you know, if they some, somehow win the the Pokal and they get to host the Super Cup, it's a very different thing to take away from them. Yeah. I guess that's the flip side, isn't it? Because Bayern are usually the title holder, the champion, so they don't necessarily get to host the Super Cup. Um, mm. And I don't think they really care even if, it, let's say, they, they miss out on the German championship but win the Pokal and then get to host the German champion, I don't think they would really care about hosting the Super Cup, mm. which is another thing, right? Because, I mean, now that the Allianz Arena is getting the NFL and it's currently prepared for that, right, they kind of have extra events at that stadium. And also that stadium gets so many big games just because of them being there on top of that. 
an extra game is not really something that interests them maybe mm. right so i think that's a really fair point um i mean the dfl kind of takes the stadium over for that weekend right and uses it for all sorts of events and um, hosting people and um, bringing people together i mean it is it is an important day in the calendar in terms of not necessarily the game itself but sort of like a like an opening party right mm. to the season and it, it, it would be nice if maybe they could do something else that doesn't kind of compromise the super cup itself so maybe yeah. like maybe like mls and bundesliga sit down and say look right every summer the team who wins the bundesliga faces off against the team that wins the mls cup or something you know mm-hmm. and then even though that is just a glamorized friendly it's still a match that fans of both clubs in the u.s can go and, and and take in and i mean at the end of the day super cup's just a glamorized friendly yeah. you know so it doesn't really matter what they're competing for it's still something that possibly kind of intrigues fans spreads this spreads the kind of name of the bundesliga itself mm. you know and or maybe maybe the bundesliga comes up with some sort of u.s tour which has you know four or six teams that aren't Bayern munich <laughs> yeah, for a change because I think you know when I speak to people at Bundesliga about um, you know promoting the league abroad, I think the kind of main frustration is that everyone knows everything about Bayern Munich, but yeah. the league probably gets really held back because US fans could probably rhyme off Leicester City's first eleven, but they probably couldn't name three players in the Gladbach start eleven mm-hmm. or Leverkusen, or maybe they probably know probably know quite enough about Dortmund, but it's it's about kind of promoting these kind of mid-sized clubs, getting their names into households and football fans' ears and so they can pick up some interest in it. And that's, I think, how you promote the league abroad. Because mm. if you're going to keep using Bayern Munich to sell the league, then that's all people are going to view. That's the only prism they're going to view the league through. And then if Bayern Munich continue to win the titles, then there's no real intrigue in it. But if you get US, or it doesn't have to be just be US supporters, just any supporters abroad, if you get them interested in a Gladbach, you know, in a Schalke, in a Hamburg, even a Leverkusen or a club like that, then they don't really care if these clubs win the Bundesliga or if they beat Bayern or not. They just, get, they just have an interest in how these teams are doing every season. Um, yeah. and, and I guess this goes back to the original point that Oliver Kahn was saying that not enough German clubs are going out there and doing these things, you know. Um, other, other than Paderborn, other than Paderborn, <laughs> who maybe we should just be, maybe everyone should just take a leaf out of their book. I, I mean, I think this is exactly what Bayern Munich have saying. Like they're like, we're happy to go, but we shouldn't be the only ones because, in the end of the day, we don't benefit if we're the only team that's known, right? Mm. And I think it's a really interesting talking point. I think um, you know, I, I I personally found it intriguing, and it was really it was really nice. I actually flagged Andreas Jung after the after he gave this sort of presentation, and we just chatted about it uh, for for some time and kind of exchanged ideas on it. And he's he's a very passionate man, and we're really intrigued about the U.S. market in particular, and knows a lot about the U.S. market and the size of it. You know, like some of the things that he's pointed out and that I wasn't aware of, there's is something like 130 million active football fans now in the United States and 25 million people play the game. But the real crazy number about those 25 million people that play the game is that 18 million of those are under 18, mm. right? So Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure, at least this was the case when I used to live there as a kid, I remember, pretty sure soccer is the most played sport in the US at yeah. obviously at uh, child uh, under 18 level um, but obviously it's converting those kind of kids into lifelong soccer fans which is the tricky part yeah 100% and this is what he said is like when they do become active soccer fans they should be choosing Bayern and not Leicester or they should be choosing yeah. Gladbach and not um, Leeds you know and um and I think this is what he's sort of saying. Like, this is the time now to do it as the market mm-hmm. is growing because there is still movement in the market and the flexibility. And, and I think, yeah, it was really interesting. And he really stressed the important. I mean, we know this, Stefan, 50% of our listeners are from the United States. So, hello, we, we, we understand. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I thought it's an interesting point. And it's, it's something I think that, we kind of have to keep an eye on and um, it's going to be interesting to see how the league is going to respond. And the DFL is actually now funding these trips for teams 
as well. Mm. So, um, yeah, uh, maybe next year. I think Dortmund is planning a US tour as well. Um, I'm pretty sure some of the other teams will, will also be going over, um, which is, of course, intriguing, right? Because you're going to see a lot more clubs try, trying to fill, fill stadiums there. Uh, but should we talk about the game itself? Because I think that was quite interesting as well. And I think we kind of learned quite a few things. And you know this because you helped me with this. But I had my match report or like my match story. It wasn't really a report. It was a match story that's on Transfermarkt. I had written that at halftime because mm. silly me, I thought it was over at halftime. It's 3-0. And then <laughs> it was 4-1. At that point, I was kind of relaxing again. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot closer in the end, I think, than anyone anticipated at halftime. And when Leipzig made it 4-3 and had that free kick at the very end, I was a little stressed <laughs> that I had to rewrite everything. Um, <laughs> it's it's classic. You know, as soon as you start writing your match report, that's when things start going awry. Yeah. Um, but it, it was an interesting game in the sense that I think if I had to kind of sum it up, I would say Bayern put out their A team for the first half and blew away Leipzig's B team. And then in the second half, Leipzig kind of brought on their A team and then they were obviously able to kind of match Bayern more so um, in the second half. So it, it, to, to, to kind of wheel out an old cliche, it was a game of two halves in that regard, but... Yeah. I must say, I still think after everything, I still think um, the result actually still quite flattered Leipzig, as I said after the game on Twitter. Mm. Um, I thought Bayern looked really, really sharp. Um, They obviously haven't been treating their preseason tour in America lightly. They've also been working very hard on fitness because they looked like a team who were, you know, 10 or 12 weeks into the new season. Leipzig looked like a team much like we've seen from a lot of the Bundesliga sides in the in the Pokal during the weekend. They just didn't look up to scratch. And I think maybe the the best comparison I could make there is if you look at the, the, the contrasting performances of Sadio Mane for Bayern and Schobislai for Leipzig. Um, you know, Mane fitted into that team as if he'd been there for the last 10 years. Uh, he was really sharp, really fit. Um, and he obviously got a goal. Should have scored three I think, you know, mm. if not for the offside flag. And in contrast, I saw very little Shobislai. He wasn't making many runs. His passes were off. He tried to do this weird back heel flick and tripped over himself in the barn box at one point. Yeah. Um, and he looked like the player who had just arrived in preseason at a new club and didn't know what he was doing in that team. And I think that kind of summed up the two teams at the moment. Mm. Um. And it's a worry for Leipzig because I kind of we, when we've talked about this, we, we did this on our bonus podcast for subscribers last week. We talked about this game, and one of the main concerns I have for Leipzig going into this new season is that although they have Christopher Nkunku, who I did think looked quite sharp in this mm-hmm. game and um, probably should have scored at least a goal, um, I think as him aside, they really need these other forward players to really step up. Yeah. Um, Danny Olmo had his injury concerns, understandable. But you know he he needs a big season. Um, yeah. Obviously, Andre Silva was nowhere near the player that he once was uh, at Frankfurt last season. He needs to step up. Um, and of course, Shobislai, who I really must admit I'm beginning to get quite concerned about him because I didn't really see anything of him last year to really nail down the kind of hype that came when he joined the club. Um, you know, there was comparisons like Zlatan Ibrahimovic and all sorts of things like that in mm. terms of the, like his close control, the way he scores from distance, the way he sets up goals. And I just feel like he still hasn't really found the pace of the league and caught up with it. So I was really expecting, I'm really hoping to see a bit more of these players for Leipzig. I thought Andre Silva actually made a big difference when he came on the second yeah. half. Um, he looked like a really good focal point. He looked hungry. I think that was really encouraging. Danny Olmo also, I think, looked yeah. Quite... He was one of my players of of the game. Yeah, he Once made he was it on. But then it made it made me think. Well, why is Tedesco starting? I I really don't have. I have no idea why Forsberg started this game. And maybe maybe it was yeah. just a case that you know Leipzig really were treating this game like a friendly. Um, because I if 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 Tedesco was absolutely determined to win this match, 
I know Forsberg's been a great servant for Leipzig over the years. He was a great Bundesliga player, but at this point in his career, there's no way he should be starting over Danny Omo or Andre Silva. And that attacking line for Leipzig changed dramatically in the second half when they came on. Mm, I had so, that as I had I had two key moments in this game noted down. Uh, one was Danny Olmo coming on, and uh, Musiala coming off. Mm, and yeah. when that when those those things happened, the game started to turn in Leipzig's favor. It was mm-hmm. too late, right? Because at that point, I think they were down four one, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, that's a huge mountain to climb. And they all, I mean, in fairness, they almost did it. But it's still, I think it's just too much. And I mean, that fifth goal when Sané puts the game away, that's that's the equivalent of when they pull the goalkeeper in ice hockey, right? <laughs> um, because everything is forward and then you, you can concede um, while you're trying to push for an equalizer. Mm. But I, I thought that Musiala was my man of the match, even though he was only 60 minutes on. Mm. He created the first three goals. Um, he, he scored the first. He played the pass. That to Gnabry, that created Mane's goal, mm-hmm. um, and then he assisted Pavard for the third directly, mm-hmm. and he gave them a ton of control in that final third. He was unplayable at times, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, how many times did he dance through Leipzig's backline and he had to be brought down? And I think he almost plays like a roving number eight on the left wing, if yeah. that makes any sense, right? Um, and I think that is probably his best position in almost like a free-floating attack. It's kind of what Thomas Müller does on the other side, mm. behind two wingers that are playing kind of like attackers, Gnabry and Mane, which I actually think actually look quite sharp as well. Mm-hmm. But it was interesting how much control they lost between the central midfielders, the attacking midfielders, and the two half-nines, I guess, once Musiala came off. It wasn't yeah, the same okay. kind of control anymore. And because of that lack of control, Leipzig had more room to actually go forward because they didn't have to worry about Musiala taking them apart. And that's mm. what he did. He picked them apart. And I, I think that's an interesting development for Bayern Munich because if Musiala can do this every game, that's almost like a new signing for them. Yeah, I mean, we've we've spoke about this in the pod before. The, I've said I didn't think Musiala got enough game time last season. Yeah. Um, it was one of the kind of well, not the only one, obviously, because I was going to say it's one of the downsides of their season, but obviously not the only one since they only won one trophy. But I was really hoping to see a lot more of them last year, and even in this match alone, you can see why it's so, it's so hard for him to get game time in his team because to start Musiala, you basically have to bench Leroy Sane, mm. and you also have to maybe wonder, you know how Kingsley Coleman fits into this team and right. the basically Bayern's tactics to kind of fit in all these players on, on Saturday was to basically play for front four you know they had Gnabry, they had Sadio Mane, Thomas Muller, Musiala and then maybe even have like guys like Davies and Sabitzer kind of making late runs into the team and they just overloaded Leipzig the defence over and over again and I mean I think there was, there, there was obviously two things here like I said earlier on Bayern were extremely sharp. I think another thing we have to really consider here is that this really probably wasn't a starting backline for Leipzig. You know, Guardiola's obviously yeah. out, who was probably maybe, aside from Chris Winkunku and maybe Leimer, their best player last season, uh, he he comes out, Halstenberg goes in, who, poor fella, slower than a week in jail. Uh, to be perfectly honest with you, Klosterman as well, left wing-back, yeah. didn't offer anything at all. Obviously, ideal scenario, Angelino, uh, or of course now his replacement, David Rom would have been in there. Um, but because of circumstances, neither of those players were available. So Klosterman gets put in there. And I think those two players in particular on the left side at defence were just, yeah. they were just a huge bullseye for Bayern to just keep attacking, attacking and attacking. Um and it just it worked time and time again, um, so it, it I think I think that was the play. But obviously, there's obviously just the fact that Musiala was outstanding. And mm. the thing that really intrigues me this, and I kind of was pondering this aloud on Twitter during the match, was if Musiala is ready to make this step up and play like this every week, you have to really question where Leroy Sani fits into this yep. team. Yep, 
I'm no, glad I had... bringing that up. <laughs> I'm really <laughs> glad you're bringing that up because that's a huge talking point. <laughs> yeah, and, I, and to be fair, I, I did have some Bayern Munich fans saying, look, we're going to end up playing like 60 games this season. There's space for everyone. Um, yeah. I, and, and I get that, but the, the problem here is that Leroy Sané isn't the type of player who, he's not like Kingsley Coleman, who can be a very effective um, impact sub. You know, Serge Gnabry obviously did this to great effect as well last year. Um, Leroy Sané usually needs a run of games to get into match fitness or get into the into the kind of swing of things, get into his kind of a, a good, rich vein of form. And the struggle here is that he obviously just isn't doing that enough consistently. And he's now got this young contender on his wing who looks better, looks sharper, looks fitter. And it's more, argue... more multi-dimensional too. I think that's well, another exactly. aspect, right? That's, that's exactly what I was going to say. He, he has more tools in his toolbox, I guess, is maybe, yeah. I'm not even sure if that's the expression, but that's how I would describe it. Um, and it does make you wonder. I mean, there's already now kind of some links suggesting that Sané could be loaned back to a Premier League team. I think Arsenal may be linked with them. Um, if I was an Arsenal fan, I'd be quite wary of that, to be perfectly honest with you. But um, it does make you kind of wonder. Is it's, I mean, this is obviously just one game. And as we've said, it's not even really a fully competitive game. But is in, if, if Nagelsmann has decided that Musiala is above Sané this season... Um, that makes a huge difference to how this Bayern team kind of works yeah. going forward. Because that actually only means the only position that's available for Leroy Sané at the moment is the one that Mané is playing. Mm. Right? Like that almost playing one of the two number nine, half nine roles because I think that I think, as you said, Nagelsmann likes the idea, if you're playing two wingers in the attack, you need to have two because it's like it was a four-two-two-two, right? Wasn't it? Right? That turned into a three-five-two when uh, at times, mm. but it means that the two guys playing behind uh, Gnabry and Mane, they have to be creative playmaking wingers, and that's not Sané. Mm. And Müller can do it. We know Müller just plays wherever you wherever he wants to and Musiala can do it too because he's similar that way so you're essentially having two Müller type players mm-hmm. playing behind two attacking wingers who are kind of turned into number nines so that actually only leaves one of those two positions in the very front open for Sané and I actually think Kingsley Coman would be quite happy to also play in the same kind of role than Thomas Müller and um Musiala because he's also a little bit more creative in, mm-hmm. in that aspect. He's not quite a straightforward um, attacking kind of winger. Um, so I agree with you that, that that is an interesting little wrinkle in this whole Sané thing. And I think too that the club is kind of pushing him a little bit um, in that regard. And I know that Mané has some things going on off the field that make life a little bit difficult for him, right? And um, Sani, that is Sani. Sorry, not Mane. Sani, Mane, Sani, Sani. And I think that's. I think I think they kind of. I feel like the Mane transfer was almost like an ultimatum to Sani. Hmm. But it 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 feels like they've decided like right, we can't really rely on you anymore at this yeah. point, do they? Yeah, and this is this was always going to be an issue this this summer this season in the sense that like Nagelsmann basically has what four or five attacking players that he has to keep happy. Uh, obviously, Sadio Mane's come in to play games. Serge Gnabry's just signed a new contract and will be demanding to play games. Musiala is the brightest young prospect in Germany, so he'll be expected to play games. Uh, but then you have these kind of two other players. Obviously, Thomas Müller's there as well, but who I guess also expects to play games, but. Um, that's maybe a given, or he's maybe not putting as much pressure on Nagelsmann, perhaps, shall we say. But then you have two other players who signed contracts under the previous head coach. I'm, I'm almost did Kingsley Coleman sign his contract extension with Hansi Flick? Was that the club? No, that was that was just the summer, just before the summer. So it was under Nagelsmann. It was Nagelsmann. That's interesting. Yeah. Cause I was going to maybe suggest that maybe Nagelsmann is now having to deal with Coleman and Sani who are long, on long-term contracts, but potentially maybe don't even make it into Nagelsmann's starting 11. Well, um, Sani was 
originally approached and tried to be signed under Kovac. Hmm. Yeah. And then they boxed it through when Flick was already in charge. And Flick wasn't even 100% sold on the idea. Hmm. So this is the second head coach who's not necessarily 100% convinced. Yeah, and this is this has kind of been the story of Sani's time at Bayern Munich. It's always been kind of ifs and buts and false dawns and potentially he could make things work. And, you know, so much has been written about whether he could fit into this team. And I've done, I've done my fair amount of writing about it as well mm-hmm. and, and, and how Sani fits in. And I, I think he does end up having to basically play as a number eight uh, or number 10 in this team. He, he has to play through the middle. Yeah. Um. But the problem is that he was maybe looking at the potential of Robert Lewandowski leaving and thinking, okay, now's my time to shine. But with Lewandowski leaving, Bayern have now basically squeezed three players into that midfield or that kind of centre forward position, and in, in this in the form of Sadio Mane, Serge Gnabry, and now Musiala. Mm. So. It's it's in, it'll be an interesting thing to watch going forward and seeing how he kind of how he's how happy he is and how well he performs in and out of this team. But I wouldn't be surprised if his minutes for Bayern do drop this season. Mm. Yeah, no, I th- I think so because I think that it's especially the forward line with Knabri and Mane made some pretty good arguments for themselves. Both of them scored, right? Mm. Uh, I mean, in fairness, Sané scored too, but again, that was the the hockey goal. <laughs> 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 and um, I mean also you can make the argument he scored coming off the bench when when the other team was pressing mm. which is then an argument that Nagelsmann can say is like oh well we can bring you on when the other guys are tired because you're fast mm-hmm. uh, and I mean I, I think it's a hugely fascinating thing but I think there's also some really interesting things going on with Leipzig and I mean as you said Forsberg um, I started the match and he was pedestrian best. So was like, uh, yeah, same. I mean, I would give him the exact same report card, pedestrian at best. Um, Danny Omo, we spoke to him after the game. And and uh, first of all, his English is excellent, Stefan. It was very impressive. And um, I thought he he made a huge difference coming on and he scored. He also was the one with the, did you see this? When he placed the, there was there was a situation where Leipzig gave the ball back to Bayern, and he put the ball on the line, for supposedly a throw-in, and then Lucas Hernandez picked it up, but the ball was actually still in play, and Leipzig got a free kick out of him, which gave them a scoring chance to almost make it four-four. Did you did you see this? <laughs> yeah, I thought that was a. If he did this on purpose, that's pretty good shithousery, a, but b also pretty clever. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> No, exactly. But as, you, as as I'm sure you're about to allude to, he may also have to be contending with some serious competition this season. Yeah, I mean, first of all, David Raum now. I mean, we our last show we did this, right? That's done. Hmm. Um, which, of course, leaves questions marked with Angelino. And Angelino, there was rumors about Hoffenheim. I've been told those were thoughts and ideas. And um, I spoke to some people a, at the club, and B, also people who know Angelino quite well. And they're not sure that Hoffenheim will be des- the destination. Um, I mean, Hoffenheim have a free spot now because David Raum has gone to Leipzig. Hmm. Um, and Angelino is not a player who likes to sit on the bench. Leipzig would, do like, Leipzig would actually like to keep both. And... Uh, Angelino didn't play because of the transfer and the things that were going on and potentially them having to move him. Uh, the problem is that Angelino doesn't like to sit on the bench, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the issue here is the, the climate in the dressing room, as it was described to me. Um, so, you know, so they might have to move him. Um, Raum, of course, and you saw in this game, will give them a ton of attacking prowess and defensive stability at the same time. And we did an entire podcast on this last week, so I don't want to talk too much about that. But the other really interesting name is Timo Werner. Mm. And I think the second... I talked to a journalist at the DFL tour about this. I personally believe Timo Werner was ruined by VAR. Because um, <laughs> when he moved from the Bundesliga... That was the that year they didn't have VR, right? And then he moved to the Premier League and it was brought in. And it cost him I think did you write a newsletter on this, Stefan? 
someone did. Someone wrote an article on how many goals Timo Werner lost last year to VAR, and I think it was in the double digits. Hmm. It was it was a significant amount. Personally, I think uh, holding the line and making the run at the right time is a teachable skill. Maybe Tedesco can do that, but um, you know he is such a pacey player. But I also think that if he does go to Leipzig, and Leipzig are quite optimistic that they can work something out, and that they can sign him on loan and on a loan to buy deal. That's the that the talk here. Uh, mm. Timo Werner would have to give up ha- almost half his salary to make this happen. And uh, there is some indication that he's willing to do this to salvage his career. But I think, too, Leipzig have changed since he's left. Mm. And he wouldn't be the number nine there. He could play off the wing, which is probably a better position for him because they they have Andre Silva. Mm. So I think Leipzig signing... Werner has the potential to be a masterstroke, but also a possible disaster. Yeah, that's <laughs> because, exactly what I thought too. <laughs> because on the one hand, Leipzig signing him on loan this season to then buy him permanently next year basically means that they have a ready-made Christopher Nkunku replacement in the wings. Um, mm. Because, but then this also is where the disaster can strike. Because yeah. even though Timo Werner was kind of hailed as a number nine at Leipzig, and that's why Chelsea bought him, he did come through as a winger at Stuttgart. He, 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 even though he maybe scored most of his goals in the box for Leipzig, his if you look at his heat maps in the Bundesliga for Leipzig, he still played off the left. And the troubling thing with that is if you then line that up with Nkunku's heat maps for Leipzig, they're almost identical. You know, they oh, play, they basically play in the exact same half space. And unless Nkunku is happy to move out to the right, which I'd be surprised if he is because he loves to cut inside so much on that right foot. Um, or if Timo Ver- maybe Timo Werner can move out to the right, but that would be something relatively new for him. Um, you've basically got two players there who want to play the same position. So maybe Werner can kind of move into a more kind of striker position. Maybe he can play through the middle. Um, but I think this would be quite tricky for Tedesco to squeeze fit into his team. Least of all because the fact that Leipzig already have about seven forward players. Yeah. Um, and if they do bring him in, bring him in rather, you would seriously think they're looking at this squad thinking we need to really clear this out. I know Lukman's already halfway out the door, but Alexander Sorloth, Polson, uh, Forsberg in particular. And maybe there has been rumours of Shobosly moving on this summer, actually, or moving on a loan deal or something. You're talking four or five players there who probably should be looking at the exit door if Timo Werner is brought in. Um, and 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 but then I'm still not entirely sure how he fits in. So technically, on paper, it'd be a really smart move from Leipzig because they could get him on loan. Maybe they pay thirty million euros to sign him permanently next summer or something like that. Great, but. In the short term, I'm really not sure how he fits into his team alongside Nkunku. Yeah. Um, it's not impossible. I think I think there's maybe a prospect that he could play off the right and Nkunku could play off the left. And maybe they would both work quite well off Andre Silva. But um, it's it's a tricky one, I think. I really do think it's a tricky one. Yeah, or you play them together. But, I mean, sort of what Bayern are doing with Gnabry and Mane but then you would have to teach them to not stand on each other's toes mm. if, if their heat maps overlap. I guess the question is, does Nkunku perhaps see his future as a more central role? Is mm. that like his next evolution stops? And Leipzig notice and they say, if we sign Werner, we give Nkunku the freedom to be more central. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's very true. Or maybe Werner's maybe saying, "I want to play on the right. I want to cut inside. I want to hit shots." Um, so I mean, there's 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 still plenty that could work there. I'm not saying it's not going yeah. to work at all. And I do think Werner would be quite happy to kind of slot back into a a, a regular starting eleven, playing regular football. And I'm still convinced after all this time at Chelsea, that he's a very good player who can score goals. Um, so mm-hmm. right player, wrong club when it came to Chelsea. Yeah, yeah. I. I also feel like he's maybe a little hard done by. When you look at that Chelsea team over the last three or four seasons, there's really no one there who scored goals. It's not just a case of Werner missing open goals. 
obviously Lukaku, famous one last season, who didn't score goals. Kai Havertz, mm. who everyone knows is a very good player, also struggling for goals. So, you know, it'd be interesting to see how Raheem Sterling does there, whether he can kind of unlock that defence or unlock defences for them. But I think for some time, Chelsea's tactics haven't really favoured strikers or even wide forwards like Timo Werner in terms of their goal creation. Yeah. Um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if he did hit the ground running in the Bundesliga by any means, um, which is why he has been linked with clubs like Bayern and Dortmund routinely. Um, mm. But yeah, it'd be a very interesting signing, that's for sure. You know what else would be an interesting signing? And this is a rumor that's probably more than a rumor now. Um, little birdies tell me that it's a strong possibility. Max Eberl coming mm. out of his sabbatical in January to become the new sporting director there. Yeah. This we I think we mentioned this in a podcast mm-hmm. a few weeks ago maybe. Yeah. Um it's a very interesting one. Least it, of all because he apparently wouldn't move until January, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Yeah. Um but you would think that this if Minslav, Oliver Minslav, who's the CEO, has alluded that a door has opened for someone to come in. Mm. And you see some of the transfers and moves that have been made. You wonder if Ebal is already has his fingers in in the game in the pie, uh, but not in an official capacity at the moment. If it if it does happen, right, mm. um, with an eye on what's going to go on, but without the commitment of working an eighty hour schedule every week. <laughs> yeah, many hands makes light work don't they so it's it's an interesting one I mean obviously Eberl's obviously he was obviously at some point always going to come back to the Bundesliga mm-hmm. um, after what happened at Gladbach I do wonder if the way things did begin to get really bogged down at Borussia Park I do wonder if there's some trepidation from Leipzig fans as to whether he's the right man for the job but he's obviously got a lot of experience in scouting players bringing young players to Gladbach developing them you know and when it all worked, it worked tremendously well for Gladbach. So, you know, and at that time, he was heavily linked with Bayern Munich, you know, to be their next kind of sporting director. Mm-hmm. So once upon a time, he was um, the guy to get in the Bundesliga. Whether yeah. he's still that whether he's still that administrator, I'm not entirely sure. Um, there's a lot of issues at Gladbach. We're not entirely sure who's at fault. Um, they all seem a little... That club seems a little too close to Schalke at the moment in the sense that every single department seems to be kind of on fire. Mm. But um, so you know, I don't think we can. I don't think we can really blame Max Eberl about that. He's a, he's a, he's someone who I've sat down with and interviewed, and he's a very smart footballing mind. Uh, he knows what he's doing when he's in, when he is running a football club. But um, yeah, it'd be a very interesting one. It could be a potentially very smart signing for Leipzig. Yeah, I think so too. And sometimes, you know, things get... I think Eber was Gladbach for a very long time. And after a certain amount of time, I think things become stale. And obviously COVID also didn't help, right? Uh, I think clubs like Gladbach very much always needed to make a profit on a transfer market. And that was sort of their model. And then once that didn't work anymore, they became, as you said, bogged down. And... um, I guess in Leipzig, that's different. You operate in a different kind of level in terms of selling and buying and generating money. I mean, Leipzig is a club that made a bunch of money by selling players they didn't need anymore. Hmm. You know, they they shed weight without losing quality, yet still balancing the books. And that's a that's a very different situation. It's similar to what Bayern did this offseason, right? By selling Omar Richards, Mark Rocker, um, there was a couple of other guys. Yeah, Chris Richards as well. Mm. Right? They made money on all these guys without losing any quality. And I think Leipzig are kind of in the in a similar situation that way. That you even if you bring on a player like Bayern did with Omar Richards, I think the only guy that no one wants to buy is Bunasar. but i i guess that's like it's just it catapults them into a different level and i think that's going to be an interesting interesting little storyline uh if and when it happens but yeah stefan i think we're pretty much out of time Hmm. um lots to discuss and we're going to be back with a bundesliga preview right 
for the net, net for the people who have subscribed to the Substack. Yes, uh, we're going to try and go through every single club in the Bundesliga and talk about how they're looking ahead of the new season. So, yeah, if you haven't already subscribed, please take a look at our options on the Substack. Uh, the link is in uh, the show notes to this podcast, so you can just scroll down and you will be able to see uh, a link to have a look at what we offer. Mm. Um, so, I think we've done a decent job so far. We've had a lot of positive feedback from subscribers. Yeah. Everyone seems to be enjoying it. So uh, there's also a free trial option. So you can certainly take that out and see if you'd like to have a quick look around and see what you think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you get this podcast as well ad-free. So mm. if you listen to it on the Substack, um you will not have listened to the ad at the very beginning, but this podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. This is for the ad version, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and yeah, I, I mean, it's been the the feedback has been overwhelming. So thank you so much. Um, it's been a lot of fun writing on the Substack as well because it gives you a lot more creativity and freedom than what we do in our day job, right? So that's been really nice. But yeah. Um, Thank you again for listening, everyone. Uh, We'll be back with another show very soon. And until then, auf Wiedersehen. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.